Welcome to another episode of the 20-Minute Bible Study, a teaching podcast from Faith on Hill, a church in Milwaukee, Oregon. My name's Adam. I'm the pastor at Faith on Hill. And while you open your Bibles to the book of Exodus chapter 23, I'm going to put 20 minutes on the timer. We'll be starting in verse 27. God is preparing his people. They have been delivered from their slavery in the land of Egypt. God brought them through to the mount called Mount Sinai in the southern Negev Desert wilderness area, um, south of what we think of as Israel. But he's preparing to move them from there towards the promised land. Starting in chapter 23, verse 27 says this, I will send my terror ahead of you and throw into confusion every nation you encounter. I will make all your enemies turn their backs and run. I will send the hornet ahead of you to drive out the Hivites, Canaanites, Hittites out of your way. But I will not drive them out in a single year because the land would become desolate and wild animals too numerous for you. Little by little, I will drive them out before you until you have increased enough to take possession of the land. I will establish your borders from the Red Sea to the Mediterranean, from the deserts of the Euphrates River. I will give you into your hand the people who live in the land, and you will drive them out before you. Do not make a covenant with them or with their gods. Do not let them live in your land, or they will cause you to sin against me, because the worship of their gods will certainly be a snare to you. The terror of God. It's hard for us to think of this because we, as Christians, interact with God through his grace. Yet, God is not only love. God is love, that is true. The Bible says it, but love is not all that God is. Love is not God. God's justice is equally part of his nature and character. And as we said last episode, these people were horrific and heinous in their crimes. Murderers of innocents, murderers of children. Idolatrous people. And God had given them over 400 years to repent and they had not repented. So God says, I'm going to drive them out. He says, I will not drive them out in a single year because the land would become too desolate and the wild animals too numerous for you. So it's interesting. We often want to see the deliverance of God in one big swoop. God, just take everything that's bad out of my life right now. But you know, when you go to rehab, now I I, I haven't been, but, but I have friends that have, and they say, hey, when you go to rehab, they, they don't tell you to quit smoking. They're trying to get you off meth or cocaine or alcohol, uh, whatever it is. They don't deal with every addiction at once. They say, what is the thing that is most likely to kill you now? We're going to deal with that, and then we're going to start working our way through your issues. Nobody thinks you should keep smoking. It causes cancer, emphysema. It's addictive. But there's an understanding that smoking a cigarette is not as dangerous to you right now as meth or an inability to stay sober or cocaine or heroin, right? So, so that's what they focus on in rehab. What God's saying is, I am going to clear this land, but I'm not going to just do this all at once because it would actually be 
be detrimental. Um, you know, the, 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 the wilderness would increase, the, the wild animals would increase. It would actually be better for you to do this bit by bit. And sometimes what happens is God's doing his work in the life of a person and either we as that person or we as somebody who knows that person gets impatient. Why aren't you where I think you should be? Why aren't you where I think you should be? And, and the reason is that God has not brought the person to that place yet. And so it's easy to understand that maybe the people of Israel would get impatient with the fact that God just didn't destroy all their enemies all at once. And yet, maybe it's because God has a plan. And we can get impatient either in our own lives and we can say, God, why haven't you fixed all of my problems? Because God knows that if he did that, there would be things that we don't see as consequences, but there would be negative results. And so he knows the way to work in our lives. And, and we can get frustrated at somebody else. Why hasn't God fixed all of their problems? Because God is doing his work. Now, he says, I will establish your borders from the Red Sea to the Mediterranean, from the desert to the Euphrates River. This is what is known as Greater Israel. And it's a very controversial subject. If you Google Greater Israel, you'll find that it's, it's very controversial. The borders for the, the land that God was giving his people were never fulfilled. They never saw their borders extend as far as God said that they should. And there are some who say, well, someday Israel, the nation of Israel, will extend into those borders. The problem is that there are other people that live where those borders extend to. There are some Christians who seem to just say, whatever Israel, the nation of Israel wants to do, that's fine. Israel's God's people, so whatever they want to do, they can go do it. And then there are other Christians who say, you know, Israel's an apartheid state. Israel is, um, it's not, it's not, you know, the church is God's people now, uh, not Israel. We don't have to support them. Where, where are we at on all this? I'll say this. I believe that God still has a plan for his people. I believe that it is significant that God has reconstituted the nation of Israel. At the same time, the nation of Israel is a secular state. It is not um, the agency with, with, with which God is working in this world right now. That's the church. Um, the, the nation of Israel is not beyond questioning. The nation of Israel should be challenged where it violates human rights or where it um, allows corruption or, or what, whatever thing you might want to bring up. I, I do have a personal rule that if somebody can't tell me what year Israel was founded in and they can't give me like a basic breakdown of how the nation of Israel came to be, um, then, then I kind of won't engage with them on the subject. Because admittedly, I, I, I would be considered a Zionist. Um, and admittedly, I'm, I'm very sympathetic to the nation of Israel. Um, but I do kind of have a rule, like if you, can't, <laughs> if you can't tell me how the nation of Israel started, then, um, then, then I just I won't engage with you on this. I will say this. I believe that God's promises are still in play. I believe that there will come a day when the people of Israel live in a land that includes those borders. 
but not because of this verse. Much of what God is saying here is, hey, if you keep my, if you keep my commands, then I will bless you. And they never did. They never fully kept God's commands. So it's not surprising that they didn't live in the fullness of God's blessing. There are other verses that don't have those provisos and don't have those caveats. And so it's because of those verses. Ezekiel is a big one that comes to mind. Isaiah comes to mind. Um, It's because of those verses and those promises that I believe someday they will live in, in those borders. But I don't believe it's now. I, be, I believe that that's going to happen after Jesus returns. He establishes his kingdom on earth. Um, so, so there we go. Those, those verses still have implication for us today. Chapter 24, verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, Come up to Yahweh, you and Aaron and Nadab and Abihu and 70 of the elders of Israel. You are to worship at a distance, but Moses alone is to approach Yahweh. The others must not come near, and the people may not come up with him. Because the Old Testament system, there there had to be a bridge between God and the people. God cannot dwell near unrighteousness. Sin has no part with him. And so, there had to be a, a... a barrier between God and his people. But when Jesus died on the cross, the the curtain, the veil in the temple that signified the divide between God and people, the Bible says it was torn in two, top to bottom, signifying that the barrier between God and people had been obliterated because of Jesus's work on the cross. Verse 3, when Moses came, uh, went and told the people all of Yahweh's words and laws, they responded with one voice, everything the Lord has said we will do. And Moses wrote down everything the Lord had said. So the indication is that Moses goes up, but he doesn't go up alone, even though he alone goes to where the presence of Yahweh was being expressed on the mountain of Sinai, that the elders and, and some other key leaders were there too as comfort is confirming witnesses. Hey, we saw something miraculous. We saw something divine. We experienced the work of God that confirms the message that Moses is bringing. So he comes down, he verbally transmits God's law. The people say, we accept this. And then in the presence of the people, he writes down God's law for all time. So many people say, well, you can't trust the Bible. You know, it's just oral tradition. First of all, anyone, I am not an expert in oral tradition, but every expert I've ever heard says that oral tradition was actually very, and even surprisingly to modern uh, sensibilities, accurate. So the, the accuracy and then the community, the publicness, he didn't just go in the corner and write it down. He did it in the, in the view of the people. They knew what was happening. There was transparency. He got up early the next morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and set up 12 stone pillars representing the 12 tribes of Israel. He sent young Israelite men and they offered burnt offerings and sacrificed young bulls as fellowship offerings to Yahweh. Moses took half of the blood and put it in bowls and the other half he splashed against the altars. And he took the book of the covenant and read it to the people. And they responded, we will do everything the Lord has said. We will obey. So he, he gives them the 
verbal or the oral transmission of God's law. And then he writes it down. And then they have this ceremony of worship and sacrifice. And then he reads the book of the covenant. Hey, I'm confirming that thing you heard me say, this is what I have written down. And they again confirm, we will accept this covenant. Verse 8, Moses then took the blood and sprinkled it on the people, and he said, This is the blood of the covenant that Yahweh has made with you in accordance with these words. The, The scripture elsewhere says that without the shedding of blood, there can be no removal of sin. Without Jesus's blood, we have no hope for our sins being forgiven. We have no hope outside of his work, his death, his resurrection. And these things that Moses was doing was both a foreshadowing, it was a picture, but it was also sort of a, a, a band-aid. It was a temporary solution. You know, something happens, uh, the, the medics come, there's a horrible accident, and the, the medics come and they, they do what they can to stabilize a person so that they can get to the hospital and get into surgery. What this old covenant was doing was giving a temporary solution so that when the real work was to be done by Jesus on the cross, there would be a temporary solution in the meantime. Verse 9, Moses, Aaron, Nadab, Abihu, and the 70 elders of Israel went up and saw the God of Israel. Under his feet was something like a pavement made of lapis lazuli, which is a gemstone, as bright blue as the sky. But God did not raise his hand against these leaders of the Israelites. They saw God and they ate and drank. This is something we, again, because we experienced the grace of God, we may not process fully, but they went to where the presence of God was being manifest and they did not die. But they did so after they had been sprinkled with the blood for the removal of sins, the covenant. We can go boldly before God because of the work of Jesus Christ. Without him, we can do nothing. And there are people that want to live the Christian life. There are people who say, I'm going to try this Christian thing out. I'm going to try church out. But then they try to do it in their own strength, through their own character, through their own morality, through their own inner hard work or inner goodness. And then they fail miserably and they say, I tried Christianity and it didn't work. And they miss the blood. They miss that the only way that the Christian life works is through the work of Jesus. The only way I have the power to say no to sin is because Jesus has set me free through his death and his resurrection, and he has given me the Holy Spirit. The the Holy Spirit of God is in us and works through us, and the Bible says can come upon us in power. That's the only hope that I have. Otherwise, I'll just try and I'll try and I'll try and then I'll fail. But if I have God's Spirit working in me, Now, does that mean that I'll never want to sin again? No, I don't believe that's what it means. Does it mean I'll have the power to set up my life in the way that God wants? Yeah, I believe that's what it means. You know, uh, people talk about addictions. I just want God to remove my, uh, my addictions. I haven't smoked a cigarette in decades. I had this brief flirtation with cigarette smoking when I, after I graduated from high school. And every so often, I will be somewhere, public park, restaurant, gas station, something. And I will smell somebody smoking a cigarette. And I will think, I want a cigarette. I'm just confessing. 
there, there is some part of my anatomy, physiology, whatever it is, that the, 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 the smell receptors in my nose smell the smoke, the fragrance, and they say, you liked that. And I did. I did. Until I started feeling the nicotine cravings. And I didn't like that, and so I quit. God didn't remove the desire to smoke a cigarette, but he's given me the power to have things in place in my life so I never do. There's a community aspect in my life that it keeps me from that. You know, you want to stop, I just, I just want to stop whatever it is. Well, what are you doing to make that happen? You know, that, that, do you have filtering software on your computer, on your phone, on your tablets? Uh, have, have you told somebody that you have a, a drinking problem? Have, have, you, have you put things in your life so that you're, you're not able to engage? Is there, is there a transparency? You know, I mean, we have this joke in my house about Cheez-Its, and it's like I'm not trying to equate my love of Cheez-Its with somebody's, like, serious addiction. But the truth is that if I... If I just go to Fred Meyer and I buy like the smallest box of Cheez-Its, it will probably end up with me at Costco buying the Costco-sized thing of Cheez-Its. I love those things. So I don't buy Cheez-Its, generally speaking. In fact, it was my birthday recently, and my kids were like, hey, we should buy a pop of Cheez-Its. And, and Angie just said, look, no, he'll spiral. <laughs> it's, bad, it's a bad deal. So these men were able to go before God, not because of their own goodness, but they had been covered in the blood of the covenant. And that is why they were able to be there and not be killed. Verse 12, the Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and stay here and I will give you the tablets of stone with the law and commandments I have written for their instruction. Then Moses set out with Joshua, his aide, and Moses went up on the mountain of God and he said to the elders, wait here for us until we come back to you. Aaron and her are with you and anyone involved in a dispute can go to them. So you get the picture that the people are camped out at the bottom of the mountain the elders are kind of a little ways up the mountain, but still where everybody can see them. And they're hanging out there. So if the people have a dispute in the meantime, they can go and Aaron and her, the priests, they will judge and, and settle the matters. And Moses and Joshua are going up to the mountain. When Moses went up onto the mountain, verse 15, the cloud covered it and the glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai. For six days, the cloud covered the mountain. And on the seventh day, the Lord called to Moses from within the cloud. So for six days, Moses waited. You think, oh man, it'd be so cool to be there with Moses. It's got to have been frustrating. Maybe even boring at times. He had to wait. Verse 17, to the Israelites, the glory of Yahweh looked like a consuming fire on the top of the mountain. Remember this mountain, not volcanic. Then Moses entered the cloud as he went up the mountain. He stayed on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. God's work is not always all at once. God's work is not always overnight. In fact, it rarely is. The work that God did involved consecration, it involved dedication, it involved faithfulness. How are you allowing God God to work in your life if you don't want to commit to faithfulness to him. You know, again, the person who says, I tried Christianity and it didn't work for me. I tried the Christian faith and, and, it, and it didn't work. 
but they tried it outside of the consecration of the blood of Jesus, the, the mercy of Jesus, and the power of God the Holy Spirit. If you're not a Christian, that power, that saving faith is there for you. And if you are a Christian, the same power that raised Christ from the dead is able to raise us from the dead. It's able to give us power to have victory over sin and death, to live victorious in this life, and to hope for the full victory when Jesus returns and establishes his eternal kingdom. I want to thank you for joining us for another episode of the 20-Minute Bible Study. New episodes are released every week. Video version is on our Facebook audio version available on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. You just have to search Faith on Hill. All of our social media is at Faith on Hill. All of my social media is at Adam Dalhannock. You can email me, Adam, at faithonhill.com with any questions. We'll look forward to seeing you next time for another episode of the 20-Minute Bible Study.